Welcome to Cloud Insiders, the podcast that brings cloud down to earth. Right, and I'm sitting here with Matt Tupper, who's a senior consultant extrovert, and Chris Mitchell, also a senior consultant extrovert. Welcome, gentlemen. Let's start off with a little bit about each of your backgrounds. We'll start with you, Chris. I've worked in a vast range of industries, primarily from a financial background, uh, as well as a lot of engineering and leading into other smaller sectors, pharmaceuticals, and then lots of other industry areas that I've worked within for both EUC and servant virtualization backgrounds as well. Very good. And Matt? Yeah, I, I've worked in industries as diverse as food preparation, manufacturing, and services, such as recruitment and finance, things like that. Uh, my IT experience within those is one from you know from the ground up effectively from a from the core base of support right through to infrastructure and then through to a managerial capacity, uh, which I didn't really like. So I, I decided to get the tools back out and <laughs> so on. Fair enough. So why why have some been heard to whisper in the corridors that you are the Citrix guy? <laughs> I think it's because it, it, it's it, it's my go-to tool. I find that it works. It's largely what a lot of people want. They want to extrapolate their EUC. So what, they, what I mean by that is they, they've got their end user compute and it's distributed across all these diverse platforms and devices. It, historically, it's been massively distributed across many diverse devices and it's very difficult to manage. And effectively, what they want to do is they want to pull it back to a central layer. And, and Citrix, historically, and is still today, enables you to do that. And it was always... From its, you know, its birth as a wind frame was its or video frame and wind frame was its was its, its origins in there, and it's always enabled you to do that, and it, it effectively become a, a better and better product over the decades. That with some bumps along the way, over the uh, over the de- over the decades that's been able to do it. So it, it's what I've always used. I mean, I, I remember using wind frame at a lettuce factory in Kent. I don't know. I was probably not not impressed with it back then because I was more, I was more of the guy that was wanted the distributed desktops and that only because I was looking at it from a, a purely a, a desktop delivery platform. I became more convinced as the as the millennium turned around, and I, I, I then was convinced that, that that was the future. And uh, its value proposition was all about the centralization and the consolidation of that workload into a, into a server centric platform. Okay, so let's let's start with the definition and the question: What is VDI anyway in the context of of end user compute? Well, well, for me, I, I think the v, v, VDI is the virtualization of the user interface with the computer, and it doesn't necessarily have to be remote or or, or disparate from where the user is sitting. It, it can be streamed or provisioned to a local player. But what you're doing is you're effectively commoditizing. Uh, and standardizing that that the user receives and is able to interact with. And that's what VDI is to me. Chris, what would you add? Well, the one thing he did miss out was what VDI actually stands for, which is virtual desktop infrastructure. Right. Uh, just highlighted is virtualized desktops. And that's well, the major uh, bit not, base behind it. Again, it doesn't have to be virtualized desktops. Right? That, that, it, it's not a great acronym or an initialism because it's not just desktops. It can be applications layering on top of a nothing, right? You can have a black screen that you can launch an application from. So that's still VDI. But that leads more towards EUC, which is end user compute. Same thing. Right? Yeah. EUC is just a, an extrapolation yeah. on VDI yeah. to, it, to VDI cover more areas. That because is Windows installed onto an endpoint device like a laptop? Is that VDI? No, not really, no. But 
if I were to stream the desktop to that laptop endpoint and it was cached there, is that BDI? Yeah, kind of, right? Because I can stream that to many, 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 many devices multiple times and I can trash it and just do it instantly again. It's a, it's, it's a nuance, but I'd still call it BDI. Okay. Let's start off with the, with the pros. When BDI is done well, how is it helping organization deliver workloads and deliver applications? The major advantage is manageability. I've had a number of customers with physical desktops where they just can't even cope with their cycling schemes. They plan to release new computers every three or five years and they just can't keep up with it because they've got so many thousands of computers to maintain, plus keeping them running, fixing minor issues that have appeared on there, people maybe installing stuff or viruses or just windows slowing down Org because it does. Organizations struggle with a few hundred devices, exactly. not, not thousands. Yes. It, 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 yeah. it's, it's, it's a problem. Whereas the major advantage of the major BDI virtualization systems with link clones from the VMware world and whatever Citrix called, yeah, so yeah. yeah, is they burn. That's it. Is there something wrong with it? Burn it. Release a new one. Do you want Windows 10 tomorrow? Deploy it. You're there on it. Obviously, there's a transition of everything else behind, but instead of going department by department or going, we have to employ a load of front runners to do 30 desktops a day and run in and go in and install stuff, back up the user data and all that, all of that's gone. You don't have to do any of that. Yeah. Largely, you can, be end, you can be endpoint agnostic. Not many people are. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, other, the other massive benefit is centralized security. Mm. Where, where is your data? Well, in a distributed environment, I'll tell you where it is. It's on the endpoint and it's distributed there. And so you can save it there yes. and you can lose it. I mean, we've spoken to clients that have used VDI specifically for security, not yes. for performance reasons. Mm. And these were oil-based firms where right. they're looking at geocartography. And the problem wasn't the fact that they needed VDI at the endpoint. The fact was that their endpoints were being stolen due to industrial espionage because people were stealing the Z cartography access of the oil fields in the North Sea. Yeah. And they, they needed to move all of that back and centralise the security such that if somebody did steal the endpoint, well done, you've, stole, you've stolen a, a, a high-end dumb terminal with some yes. stuff in it. Right? It has no data. Yeah. I've just done a similar one. I've just come off deploying it for people working in India and it was purely for security. Well, not purely, there was at the collaboration aspects as well but the major thing was security in that if someone was to go into that Indian office and take things they wouldn't lose all of the, the intellectual yeah. property that they produced because it's all back here and stored in the UK and it also means UK teams can work with them and access the data at the same rate they can and they can collaborate at a quicker rate rather than waiting for the Indian teams to upload the data and then to be checked here, in which point there may be a delta difference between what's happened if they've carried on working on it. But security was a major one for a lot of our partners, especially in financial and manufacturing and, and in, it, in engineering design. Yeah, so effectively it's convenience and manageability and security. That's why largely BDI models will be on parity with a, uh, a well-managed, traditionally distributed, uh, mm. rich computing architecture, such as sort of like laptops and whatnot. And I say it's on parity. A lot of people said it can be done cheaper. It can't if you manage it well. And, and the reason it's, it's often compared to as cheaper is because they're those organizations that can't manage 200 laptops because they haven't got the software, they haven't got the, the, yeah. the, the, the infrastructure and the support that's out there to manage them. And that, that's why I take it. You can do it on parity. And, Sometimes VDI comes in a lot more expensive. Mm. Let's talk about the, the, the downsides of VDI, the things that have prevented uptake in the market. The major one, 
uh, up until a couple of years ago was if you needed a very high-end system with graphical compute. If you needed to do high-end graphics, such as CAD work or any 3D modeling, that was a case of there are ways of doing it, but it's on a one-to-one -one basis and it, the costs just vastly outweigh it unless you really need it. But now that's being fixed with the latest versions of Horizon, you can do uh, VGPUs, Citrix is able to do that as well. PCRP has always been allowed, allowed you to do it. Back to a physical, you could put a PCR to a physical machine. Back to yeah. a physical machine, and I know finance companies that have done that. Yes, uh, because they've deployed high-end endpoints out to their their trading users uh, because they needed the not a GPU, but they needed the guaranteed certain level of uh, screen performance and latency yeah. for applications like Bloomberg, which are notoriously yes. graphically rich. They're not. Mm. You wouldn't consider them graphically rich, but they are because of the frequency. And you need to ensure that somebody isn't looking at stale data. It has to be accurate. And they, they've done that. Yeah. So. yeah, when it comes to investments, milliseconds make a massive difference. And investment houses will pay a fortune to make sure that they are in Canary Wharf, in one of the data centers there with the fastest connection into the markets. But largely, as, as the, the technology moves on, it surmounts these stumbling blocks. So, mm. like, like Chris said, the stumbling block was it couldn't do performant visualization of a CAD modeling or GIS modeling. Now it can. Still not easy, but it's not easy doing that anyway in a distributed environment, right? Those being their high-end workstations, they're not easy to manage. And then like I said the other downside of it is is one of cost. It all becomes on what what platform do you want to run it on? There's a, there's another one, licensing, and we'll come to that in a second, but mm -hmm. ignore the licensing that for the for a second. But if you want to run it in the cloud, um, you have to pay for user performance. Now, if you don't put the right tin, the right minerals underneath the software layers, the user experience is always going to suffer. And so you have to increase that cost. There are some software tricks and do, do, do trickery. You can get around it, offloading storage apps, but the compute and the memory, you're always going to be able to saturate the resources you can deploy with user workloads, whereas server workloads are consistent. They, they're predictable, you know what they're going to do. You can analyze it and you can predict it over a certain period of time. User workloads, you can't because they're people. Like they, they decide to do something at 11 a.m. or they decide to do something at 1900 hours, right? That's just the yeah. way it is. Or the applications that are on there, you may have a badly written custom application uh, that once it's run for more than 40 minutes, suddenly uses 90% of CPU just because it does that. Yeah. Or the one I referred to earlier. Like yeah. Every user consuming 3% of CPU. Yes. You know who you are. <laughs> Brilliant. Let's talk about licensing. You have to take a step back and, and say to yourself, what is VDI, right? And VDI, for me, has always been an extrapolation. It's not about desktops. The, the word desktop is a, is a convenience in the acronym. The licensing problem has always been that there is no SPLA licensing for running desktops for Microsoft. It's, no. it's impossible. It's, you can't do it. It's the killer and the reason why a lot of the big cloud VDI implementations, such as AWS Workspace, run on 2008 R2 with a Windows 7 skin or desktop experience because that allows you to get around issues around commercial desktop OS licensing. So to put that in context, what Chris is saying is you can run VDI, but what you're actually running is terminal services or Zen app or hosted shared desktops as we call them now. So server-centric computing, you're taking a server and you're muxing it. Many people are logging onto that server. It could, it could be a one-to-one, -one, but the cost just doesn't work out if you do that. It's a many-to-one relationship. So there is one 
what I call a workload. Now I call it a VM workload if it's in the middle of the end tier. There's an endpoint, there's a VM workload, and some tin and some storage. But there's many users logging into one VM workload, and that can be licensed via Microsoft RDS licensing. So Microsoft, you know, they're the winners in this game. They always, they always yeah. get their pound of flesh. Like they always get their license ticket. What Microsoft won't let you do is you can't log on to a desktop workload. So many users can log on to what looks like a desktop workload. It isn't. It's a it's a it's a an RDSH host. It's a ZenApp host. It's a VMware workspace, AWS workspace. It's a, it's a server that's mixed between many users, and it's licensed differently. What you can't do is have a one to one relationship. You can't log on to a, a Windows Seven, a Windows Eight, a Windows Ten hmm. VM workload yet. Yeah. So let's talk about the yet. So Microsoft with in partnership with Citrix, are working towards a Windows 10 licensing option, which would allow you to have full Windows desktops licensed working in your private cloud or public cloud. So is that the critical moment? Yeah, that's going to be a, a, a big sea change for, let, let's call it what it is, hosted virtual desktops. Yes. Right? So not hosted shared desktops, not a mux server, but hosted virtual desktops, a one-to-one -one relationship. That means that Microsoft are, to coin a term, fixing VDA, Pretty sure the VDA license is what Microsoft let and how you enable from an, a this gets really complicated from a non Microsoft SA endpoint so software assurance endpoint um, that could be Windows Home or a Linux machine yeah. or OS so something that hasn't got an enterprise license effectively yes. you're accessing a enterprise VM workload and you have to pay this VDA a lot of people in the industry call it a VDA tax yes. it's a it's it's a fair statement. But you have to pay $100 per year to Microsoft to run their VM workload in the cloud. Or, uh, no, sorry, not in the cloud. Regardless. Just somewhere else. You're either paying them for the endpoint or you're paying them for the, the VM workload. It's a tax. I think it's a fair tax. You've got to pay Microsoft for the software they're providing, right? It's not for free. So there, there are there other are, are ways to slice and dice. The but they're, what they're doing is they're fixing that for cloud. So currently, no cloud provider is able to offer that, so that VDA license, because the restriction of the license is the equipment that runs the VM workload must be wholly owned by the end, the end user. So you can't have a shared platform that offers that. And that's what they're fixing. So eventually, they're enabling that with Citrix and Azure to offer that platform out. And I would very much suspect that due to the licensing of fair, fair access for everybody, that Microsoft will make that licensing change such that everybody will be able to access that. Soon. And the so, important one is, uh, you could see, as it is for Windows 10, you could see this as a play by Microsoft to try and get people to move to Windows 10. I don't uh, think they'll let Windows 7 allow workloads or Windows no. 8 workloads allowed. If you want to keep Windows 7, it'll probably still have to do the VDA option. But they are trying to move people into Windows 10 off Windows 7, and most people bypass Windows 8 for VDI. But that's the easiest way to do it is, well, we can avoid the VDA tax by using Windows 10. And a lot of companies will go, okay, we'll take this moment to go to Windows 10. Right. And if we look at the players in the market in the VDI space, so we've spoken about Citrix, we've spoken about the interaction with Microsoft and Azure, mm -hmm. who else is in that space? Uh, the next big one is, of course, VMware with the Horizon suite. And that suite is a full EUC suite, same as Citrix offer a full EUC suite. So it's not just VDI, they offer MDM solutions. MDM being? Uh, MDM being mobile device management. You've got uh, the workspace interfaces, 
both Citrix offer it and VMware offer it, where you can present your desktops and your applications and other systems through it. So you have a single pane of glass that you go to and you can launch everything from that one point. And there's a, a load of additional suites in there that are more aimed towards enterprise. With On the VMware side, you've got things like Mirage for handling your endpoints, because even if you do move to a VDI state, chances are you've got Windows desktops out there, whether they're used as thin clients or you just can't get people off their physical machines. For those people, Mirage will handle management of them and work in layers. There's a huge amount we could go into on Mirage, so I'll bypass that. Conversation uh, for another day, perhaps. Exactly. But, uh, interesting, that plays back to the point I made about Mirage being a VDI tool, hmm. but the workload is run locally. Like, yes. It's like the computation stuff's run locally, and Mirage lets you do that. And then there's uh, the other more bit parts, such as Flex, uh, which allow you to pull out a machine from the cloud and run it on your local machine and lots of other smaller items that they buy. And then you're going into profile management systems. Uh, Citrix have their own, VMware have their own. You also have your major players out there with AppSense, Res, and Liquidware Labs. It, it's fair to say that the major vendors in this space are effectively Microsoft as a base platform, and they, they do go some way to offering a stack. And then Citrix and VMware add value on top of that by having a complete solution. And all of them have uh, various toolings and offerings for different solutions. And you can stick to that, but it's, it's a fair statement to say, I think, to say that those toolings and offerings are value add, and they, they have a, a limited use case for massive scale enterprise. And that's when you need to go outside the box and say, right, okay, I've, I've bought this suite from vendor X. And whilst that, that, that component product is very good, it doesn't meet my requirements. I need to then go and get a premium solution. And that could be the likes of um, application endpoint management. From profile management or, is normally the one that people jump out of the stack for. Sorry, that was profile management. Mm. Uh, so Citrix uh, has got a profile management solution, which is Fine. It adequate. does what it's adequate. Yeah, it's adequate. Yeah. It does what 90% of the use cases will be happy with. Same with VMware's UEM. It does pretty much everything that most people would need. Yeah. But there's a subset of users where they need very detailed access or they have multi, multi homes, multi data centers, and then you need to look into the more advanced solutions, which are going to be database backed and be able to allow uh, mirroring and more of a distributed the, network. The feature-rich and just yeah. best, better managed on that. Yes, yeah. and that's where you've got your reses and your AppSense options, right? which yeah. are overkill for 90-plus percent of the market. But there are a number of cases, especially on the larger scale, where they really come into their own. Yeah. And then, of course, there are other players in the market. There's uh, Leo Stream still, uh, who offer a broker service, which is purely just what the Horizon View broker service is. They offer their own solution, and they have some additional features which are in neither Citrix or VMware uh, that are more useful for management, but they're missing a lot of other features. It's a smaller value add to the the Microsoft proposition. So it's fair to say that Microsoft offer this platform too in their RDSH hosts. Mm. Not just the RDSH hosts, but they offer virtual desktops as well. You can do it from an out-of-the-box Microsoft solution. It's It's not as feature-rich. It won't scale as well. Not that it's not recognized by the industry as well. It's just that the, the Citrix have done it for decades yes. in partnership hand-in-hand. 
VMware are the big new upstart. I yeah, guess. the big new upstart, the displacement, yeah. which is great, right? Because all it does is drive competition. It just makes one. They, Citrix, yeah, didn't really advance for a long period of time, and mm -hmm. VMware came along, and now Citrix started buying up people and adding more features and come into their own and sharpening their toolbox. Because some, yeah. some of that, some of that stuff is oh, terrible. Used. Yeah, yeah. So. Some of their user interfaces were terrible, and it was just accepted of that's fine. Mm. People are used to it; it's fine. But then VMware come with slick all-in-one interfaces, and like, right? Okay, we need to improve, and that's what you see with the new releases of Seven X, of uh, Zen App, Zen Desktop, <sighs> where it's a lot better now and a lot more. Yeah, useful. you see them adding things all the time. Yeah, with Seven Point Nine, they've added a fair, a fair amount of work to machine creation services and publishing and things mm. like that. Okay, so thanks for giving a, a range of solutions for the size of the org. If we park the enterprise conversation for now, and we take everybody um, from there down, and they're looking at VDI, what sort of clients and what sort of verticals are you seeing take advantage of VDI and move in that direction? I've worked with small, medium-sized pharmaceutical companies who've used it because they've got uh, people who work on different desks in different areas. They want to be able to access their system from one desk and then they need to go to the other end of the lab because they've got the equipment over there and they want to just be able to log in there, pull up their, their graphs, pull up their data input systems, wherever they're accessing, they want to be able to follow them, so the follow me desktop. Uh, same with uh, hospitals, well, obviously that's at a larger mm -hmm. scale, but hospitals especially are useful because nurses and doctors move between wards and between different departments. They can quickly log in, swipe in, and they've got access straight to their system without waiting to log in fully or having to carry around laptops and things with them. Although that is another feature with VDI for hospitals is iPads. They can walk around with an iPad or other tablet device, quickly access to enterprise systems at the back end. But then at the other end, I've got some small companies of very few users, but they are all over the place. They will work from home or they're salesmen. They're the, out on the, the road. The workspace enablement, isn't it? It you, is. You really yeah. are just saying you can, you can pick a device, pick a connection, go. Yeah. Uh, I've had customers who really uh, built into it and they had iPads for their salesmen. Their salesmen went anywhere where if they had a signal, they could connect to their desktop and do all of their work. And they knew it was all entered back into the, uh, the home data center. If they lost that iPad, it doesn't matter. Nothing was on there. Mm. But it's also useful for you can't provide a laptop to people to use from home without having to then secure it down, having to do full tests on it, make sure it is fully locked down and secure. It's really difficult to manage. Mm. And, and there's always stories of laptops that have gone missing exactly. in any industry, in yeah. any country. Especially with the smaller companies who can't afford the full-size dedicated teams just for security to manage the systems. Mm. With VDI, it's all maintained centrally, and you could have a team of one looking after everything. Mm. Uh, yeah, it, it, the, the funny thing with, with EUC virtualization, sometimes it can be cheaper for uh, a really tiny organization with, yeah. with, with several users. I'm talking sort of the 10 to 30. It can actually be really quite cheap and efficient yeah. for them, those guys to do it because they can get the consolidation on, on, a, on a fairly meaty box or a server with significant uh, resources underneath it. And then as you scale up, it gets a little bit more expensive as you have to break out certain yes. various and separate out. And then when you get to very large scale, it gets cheaper again. So it, it's interesting because sometimes you've got, you've got to look at that, that 300 user count, um, especially in the finance industry where you've got lots of accountants that are that sort of size. 
it, it can be cheap, a lot cheaper for them to do it than distribute lots of laptops or desktops everywhere. And it gives those users the, the, the enablement and the flexibility to work from anywhere else. Right? Yeah. I, I had a company who were very small, uh, talking less than 15 uh, users, and they used VDI because they were able to keep it all centrally in a secure country where they knew their data was protected in a data center that the data they were accessing was very commercially desirable and it meant that everyone was able to access it from wherever they, whichever country they were in at the time because they did move between countries but they knew that their data was in a country that had uh, data extraction laws it was fully protected, that data was not going anywhere, the only way to access it was through the VDI environment. Whereas with a laptop, you'd have to fully encrypt it, you've got all of the costs of running a full encryption system for 15 users, which becomes really expensive and difficult to maintain. However, having said that, there is a law firm in the city that is actually going the other way. They're migrating away from VDI uh, to a traditional distributed model. So why would they do that? It's interesting because, because they're a use case where they can measure productivity very, very easily. Uh, if they can say solution X will enable our users to be more productive because they bill per 10 minutes or six minute increments because you know, that's the way their, their industry moves. That, and, and, and solution X is cheaper than solution Y, then you would do it. Yes. But that's, it's a very niche use case. And I would imagine that these things are cyclical and they'll probably be, turn about face in about five years and go back to a, a VDI environment. And we're talking to industry in uh, construction industry right now. Um, and one of their questions they're posing to us is they, they have a poor VDI environment. And that that's, can be one of the problems. Right? They, they, yep. they, 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 they've invested in a certain amount of tech, a certain amount of software. The solution never meets user expectations. And we'll come to user expectation in a minute. But, uh, so they, the, one of the questions they pose to us is, do we upgrade? So continue with the solution they've got, but upgrade it. Do we get a differing solution from the same vendor? Do we go with a different vendor? Or do we scratch it to, and completely go with a traditional distributed model or go to cloud? Now, going to cloud comes back to our conversation about licensing, how well, you might be able to in six months or 12 months' time. We don't know when. And we don't know what the enablement features are. So as of right now, we have to sort of discount that option. But, uh, it's interesting that we have those conversations. I think eventually they will, they will choose their incumbent vendor to re repurpose the investment they've made in that software and choose a, an alternate deployment method. So their, their method of choice at the moment is hosted shared desktop. So they've got this shared workload on these servers. They, they will almost certainly deploy something that allows them to be more flexible on use case such that if somebody wants a compartmentalized resource, they can have that. Right, right. and shall we just touch on uh, expectations? So that, that is the big, biggest killer, is uh, the number of VDI installations I've seen where they say, oh, it's not working very well, and it's because it's been implemented wrong. Either they don't optimize the actual environment, or they just haven't implemented the hardware level correctly. I've seen both ends, either separately or at the same time, where hardware's wrong, network's wrong. Just because it's normally the desktop guys implementing it and they work in silos, they may not work with the server team. Or the server team are implementing and don't understand desktops. So they'll use the wrong hardware. Or they won't scope the hardware correctly or they'll believe what the vendors say and go, 
Well, the vendor said we could run 200 desktops per host, or we could run 4,000 desktops uh, on this one SAN. Yeah. Well, yes, those are the top level, but did you actually test what you do? That would be great if you had 10,000 people sitting there doing nothing but answering phone calls and had one application. In a call center, yes, definitely, that's top use case. For your actual use case, where you're doing peaky uh, application work, it may not work for you. And they've just not scaled it properly. It, the import, most important one is actually checking what your environment is using, what applications, how much do the compute do those applications require. And that's the biggest failure point. In, inversely, it can just be poor expectation management. But that's the other one. It, yeah. so, so they think it's going to be amazing <laughs> and going to be absolutely amazing. They look and they go, well, it's, it's okay. It's ordinary. Yeah. And what are you comparing it against? That's all that. That's, yes. That's interesting. Yes. So let's think about it. BDI, when it sort of went mainstream around 2009, 2010, everybody was talking a big buzzword. So if you think of a laptop that you had in 2010, what was the other buzzword of that year? Ultrabook was the other buzzword of that year. So you don't hear the word Ultrabook anymore, do you? Six years ago, because why? Your expectation is if you buy a laptop, it's an Ultrabook. It comes with an SSD. It comes with X amount of memory. It comes with a quad-core Intel i-something or AMD A6, A8. But it's, it's thin and it's less than two kilograms. Is that, yeah. well, there's physicality of it. It's indifferent. Yeah. But that's what you're comparing your workspace against. You're going home going, my laptop at home is much, much faster than my workspace in the office. That's because your laptop at home has 20,000 IOPS and 16, uh, 8 gig of RAM yeah. for you solely. You go home and... Well, the management decision was we've provisioned 15 IOPS for you yes. and we've provisioned two gigs of RAM. Well, this is it. On the old desktop spinning disks, uh, you were looking at about 75 IOPS. Mm. And in those times when SSDs weren't in every desktop. And IOPS are? IOPS are input-output operations per second, uh, which is data going in or out of your data storage device. Previously, you were looking at the max of 75 if you had a desktop. In your old laptop spinning rust, it's less than that again. It's probably about 60, 50, 60. So with VDI, previously, we were planning on, most companies planned around 30 IOPS. Because that was being generous. That was being generous. I've seen places where they've offered five yeah. on average. And simply because SANs were expensive and SANs were full of SATA 7200 uh, 7, RPM drives. That I've actually heard this raised as a reason not to go to VDI because of SAN and because of the expense. Yes. Do you it, think that's changing? It's changed a lot now. It has changed. Significantly because of all of the new Upstar companies. You've got uh, your Tintrees, your Pure, uh, and the other Pure storage vendors. There are other flash vendors available. There are those flash vendors and hybrid flash vendors available. Uh, whose names I may have forgotten, uh, and some that have been bought and have been brought into other companies, but they were a lot of them that's offshoots of these big organizations that didn't move, the EMCs and the NetApps of the world, that didn't produce new, exciting pieces of work because they were too involved in enterprise and stead steady work, and they didn't really care because they had their cash cow. So these offshoots of usually teams who got bored of being stuck there, went off, started these companies, did these amazing bits of work, turn the industry around completely and a lot of them got bought back up again. And it, it, it's happening again with hyperconvergence. Yes. It, now what they're doing is uh, these, these displacing technologies are simply merging the computational resources, CPUs and memories mm. with that ultra-fast, highly available storage and creating you know, always on available clusters 
that you know traditionally would be expensive to do. And now these guys are saying, well, we offer it as a as a, a one stop shop. Yeah, yeah. Even with the VMware suite, you've got uh, if you buy uh, Horizon Enterprise, Horizon Suite Enterprise, they throw in vSAN. So all you need to do is make sure you've got compatible hardware. And make sure you've got compatible hardware. Yes, that's that, the big underline if, if, here. If you hear nothing else from this, vSAN compatible hardware. Yeah. Take that. <laughs> if you don't have compatible hardware, you're in for a lot of headaches. But you're just buying hard drives then, and VMware throw in vSAN license. And for VDI, it makes sense. Why not do it? Because you can stick half a dozen SSDs into a host for not much money. And SSDs now, you can get them with 80, 100,000 IOPS. Stick six of them in, in, in a node. That node can run. 120 desktops, minimum of three nodes. You've got a massive amount of compute. And what you'd find is then your your virtual desktops would then, performance-wise, would be competing with the user expectation of the SS of their um, ultrabooks, for need of yes. a better term. Um, I call it the prosumer adoption of IT, and it, it it's it's a lot of things. It, it's effectively when uh, industry can scale to mass adoption of consumer tech. Cameras, for instance, right? digital cameras. You, you can now buy a DSLR camera, which will give you a professional result for 300 and something pounds. Yeah, not, not very much money The new Canons. Yeah. Go back seven years. How much, oh. that, how much did that camera cost? That was an Thousands. awful lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, the, the, the manufacturer's now moved on from the body is quite cheap, but the lenses are really expensive. And it's, it's exactly the same. Uh, the consumer once something becomes a consumable commodity to the masses, the price will drop. It is just this prosumer adoption. Mm. Um, so it's not, it's it's a it's one level past consumer adoption, and people take that back into the workplace with them. And you you've got to start. You either mandate that we will not, as an organisation, compete with this, and you manage expectation, and then you get shadow IT happening, or you meet expectation. Yes, and meeting expectation. Tricky. Yeah. The big drive. Can we just touch on shadow IT because that's a good concept for people. Uh, it yeah, it's a bit outside of this talk around EUC, but in any large company, if you stop things or mandate we can't do it this way or we'll do it, but it's going to take eighteen months to happen, people will go behind the company. Uh, we've had clients with massive six-figure a month Amazon AWS bills because it was easier for them to spin up AWS environments for development, build them, destroy them, build them, destroy them, and advance much quicker than what internal IT could turn around in that time. You, you might get the same situation in six months to 12 months' time, where that's exactly the same for desktops, though. Exactly. And with the, with the adoption of the licensing availability, if AWS can start giving out what I call proper, proper desktop workloads, yeah. I don't want to be disparaging to what they offer at the moment, but if they offer a... A, a Windows 10 experience that hmm. you can give out to many people. You could spin up a department in another country quite easily uh, if, if, if Azure lay in some sort of collaborative technology yep. on that. Why do you need a domain? Yeah, just, what for shared storage? No, they've got email accounts. And they've got OneDrive that's thrown in. Uh, it, Azure is talking of possible going to uh, for public access because obviously at the moment a lot of these uh, virtual desktop environments are minimum of 50 desktops and maybe more if you want good prices. But there's talk of going down the route of offering them to consumers in a few years' time. Or you, if you do have a small department opening up in 
another area of the country, spin up a load of desktops, everyone uses OneDrive. That's your data collaboration sorted. You don't need anything else. Mm. Mm. Excellent. Let's bring this back to the folks at home. So they're listening to all of the ins and outs and they're thinking as a as an SMB up to a, say, a, a large, let's exclude enterprise because we've covered that separately, org, how do I plan for VDI into my future? What should I be thinking about and what should I be avoiding? A lot, a big mistake was when VDI or bring your own device was the buzzword of the day. People went, I want VDI. Why? No, no, I just do. It's the new thing. Whether I was driven from their CTO uh, or someone else on the board saying, we need bring your own device because I want to use my iPad or iPhone to access all of our applications on my desktop. Or it's just the tech guy going, I want to pad out my CV. I want VDI. They came across as, right, we want, to, we want this use case and now I'm going to wedge it into the company. And they tend to fall apart a bit because it doesn't quite fit. You need to develop the company to a point where VDI is a useful use case or why you're moving towards it. I, I think what you, need, what you don't need is a solution looking for a problem. Exactly. You need a, you need a, you need a solution for a problem and that's where you've got to start. You, as if, you're looking, if you're saying, where do I start with VDI? Wrong, wrong question. Yeah. What's wrong with the way I do IT at the moment? If there's nothing wrong with the way you do it, don't change. It's absolutely fine. If the model's working for you, don't change. If, on the other hand, you think, I'd like a bit more security. I'd like to centralize some of my data. It'd be really nice if I could guarantee a certain level, a level of experience. If I could define a use case better. If I could, if I could quantify the cost I'm going to spend in, in, into a central model. Or if, if I could, could somehow move it to the cloud. So the, the question you've got to ask yourself is, what problem do I have that I need fixed as a CIO or a CTO? That's what you, or even as my team manager, right? that's what you've got to ask yourself. What, what, what do my users want? I mean, if you like Canvas users, sometimes, yeah. you know, you're living in a, in, a, in a ivory tower, you don't know. Ask them, yeah. ask, get their opinion. You might be pleasantly surprised. Probably not. Yeah. But you might be. But that's it. A lot of companies we do come across, the IT team have no real interest in the end user. And it's a, a big mistake because they'll em employ a first-line support guy who d is the only interference or they just ignore them and they have a ticketing system and they just go through it and they don't really care. They don't actually find out about the applications, how they use them, why they use them. The number of places I go into assess VDI where I ask, well, what applications are you using? Don't know. How are they using them? Don't know. Or, or the guess is how many have you got? And they give you a number. Yeah. And you think, we've got 600 applications. And, and it comes with this ish. Yeah, yes, sixty-ish, and then you run an assessment. And you've got well, you've got twelve. Yeah, they actually use. You know, you, admittedly, you've got four hundred installed, but you actually, you know, yeah. I've, I've ran, ran. Or the <laughs> best one is we're licensed for six hundred, for instance. Right? How many people actually use it? Don't know. Run an assessment. In the last three months, seven people ran this application that costs you hundreds of pounds a year. Oh, no one thought to ask. Do you still use the application that you once asked for? Uh, so if we put this into steps for people, what would be the first step and then... The first step is not VDI, unless you've got everything else. If you're the, the average organization which has got a load of desktops spread out everywhere and you, maybe, you have a domain and people access them, you need inventory tools. You need to know what's actually out there. You need desktop assessment tools, whether that's something as basic as Map running or one of the larger players like um, 
liquid oil labs or lakeside. Cisco. I mean, it, and there are okay. other tool sets which are similar. Yeah. You've got in inventory tools which will run, it, run Snow. out. Snow, mm. uh, which will find out all the applications that are run and their load times, they, how often they're run, things like that. You need to know all of this information before you go to BDI. Okay, so then you've, you've taken this inventory. It's what extrovert do. Yes. Yeah. That's a blatant plug. But it's what we yeah. do. We go in and we do these assessments. Uh, we mm. will tell you what your estate looks like, how many applications you've got. And from there, that's when we can give you the consultative approach and, and give you a, and give you the options, right? We sit down with you and we'll talk to you like a real person. So, look, tell us what you want to achieve. What, what are your problems? And it might be the fact that we talked to a customer just the other day that said, experience is king. And you've got to think, whoa, well, I'm, if there's three options on there, if the user experience cost and quality is on the table, you've got to leave one there and you've just taken user experience, I'll take cost, right? Because it's going to, going to go out the window. You've really got to put some serious budget behind that. Then, and that, that, that's how it moves on. And so we've talked about Microsoft and Citrix working closely together in this space um, and, and what that might bring. Hmm. What do you both see the future of BDI as? This continuous movement. Uh, VMware's latest version of Horizon is uh, got some fast, fantastic advancements with uh, instant clone, so you can spin up desktops Immediately, they're just forks, uh, much faster than uh, link clones. Link clones have the time of it copies from the replica, it starts them up, and goes through everything, says preps, and all that. It took a bit of time, not much time, but now instant clones, you can spin up hundreds of desktops in, in minutes, and they can be completely stateless, and with app volumes, you can attach your application. They start up, they attach an application, maybe when the user logs in, because you tie them by user login. So when Jane from Department A logs in, she gets Department A's app stack. When Dave from Department B logs in, he gets Department B's app stack. But you've only got one pool. Yeah, and it's just one big thing. Management's a lot easier. And it's just going to constantly change. The big one with VMware now is Blast Extreme, which is uh, the new protocol. They've moved away from PC over IP. It's still available, but they've moved away from it to, for their own development like Citrix have had for a long time, mm. they have their own internal development because their requirements have moved beyond what Teradigi provide. And at it's the moment... That, it's, it's also IP security. I mean, yes. They never bought that product from Teradigi. No, so they, they licensed, they licensed it. it. So Amazon used it as well. Yeah. And that's extreme. Now, uh, slightly better, but on par with the, the best of Citrix can offer. We, when it came to AV, audiovisual, rather than antivirus, uh, Citrix had that slight little bit ahead because of some of the advanced features that they had. But uh, PC over IP was always just behind it. Well, now with Blast Extreme, it's right up there. The, it's fair to say that the, the future of BDI is, is about the user experience. It's about the rich content that, that gets delivered to the user. Nobody's going to want less. You know, you don't want a slower device. You don't want a, video, a device that can't play video, that, 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 that can't view HTML5 rich websites. No mm. thanks, I don't want that. So some of the nuances and techniques that the protocols were able to mimic, like the flash redirection, things like that, that's becoming less relevant yeah. to Citrix all the time because, well, there's less flash websites out there. They're all going HTML5. Um, the, the, the way that applications are delivered or the way that operating systems deliver is becoming leaner and becoming more efficient because because Microsoft are writing a better 
uh, tool for it. So uh, there's application layering. So hmm. and so there's there's the layering is attach on disk or attach on attach on boot. Sorry, or attach at login. And, and that's that's changing and things like that. So the way we inject applications on desktop and fundamentally it's it, it's a, it, it's Windows 10 that's driving it because yeah, nobody's adopting Windows 8. It's the you know it's it's the dead turkey really. It's uh, it was great. It worked fine and people had it on their laptops. But I've not seen a single implementation of VDI with Windows 8 or 8.1. My, my impression is it was always a poor user experience. Even yeah. when I used it on a laptop, I didn't like it. So yeah. when you talk about user experience, just coming back to that, and you talk about user experience being king and that coming hand in hand with cost currently, can we assume that costs are going to drop in BDI experience? Yeah. Well, costs are, costs are dropping already. The big hyper-converged vendors of uh, the big N have uh, reduced their costs, which means their entry point to that is a lot lower, which means if you have a small implementation, and by small I mean... 300 users, then you can buy a Nutanix brick with three nodes that will that will allow you to hold 300 users with Nutanix storage ultra fast, and it's now in a much lower uh, cost point than previously, where you had where you had a SAN, because the SANs were obviously a, a big thing. People would try and get just enough for what they could, or this well, a, a pure SAN costs more than a single Nutanix brick. So for those small companies, now you've got a real easy way into the market. Mm. Yeah, as the commodity price of hardware effectively tumbles, or, or as the price remains constant, but the performance gets better. Yes, that's the, the important the, the one. The Moore's Law performance gets better, as so the CPUs double and the memory increases, and the density of memory increases. Mm. Um, what you'll find is that the user experience will improve dramatically for less hardware yeah. and then you've got the commoditization of it in the cloud right so you can move move if you can move your applications and your uh, EUC workloads to the cloud such that they remain performant you can sort of put a fixed cost on it uh, and, 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 a, and a steady growth cost because you know one is per x you know uh, hmm. growth so I, the future is for me I, I, I see the, the future is on-premise hyperconvergence with effectively retiring non-performant hardware because mm. the, the user demands these peaks, much, much bigger peaks and troughs in servers, uh, server loads, and or a, a migration to a cloud platform, yeah. or and a burst to a cloud platform. And on that note, gentlemen, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks much much. That brings us to the end of another episode of Cloud Insiders. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. And to find out more and access show notes and downloads, head over to cloudinsiders.fm. You can track us on Twitter at Cloud Insiders, and we'd love you to leave us a review on iTunes. See you next time.